This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome back. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoe with you uh, for an hour or so. We're going to hit on Tage Thompson's big night for the Sabres on Wednesday. The fact that a couple of key teams are outside of a playoff spot right now. Got a hit on uh, Haley Salvian and I did an attendance story that seemed to touch a nerve. We got a whole bunch of uh, mailbag questions, some fun this week in, in hockey history. So lots to get to. Uh, Jesse Granger as well. Uh, for Granger things. So lots to get to. By the way, I got to ask you this though, Sean. So I have a note here. And I think, yeah, you have access to our kind of our rundown of our show. Mm -hmm. And there's a note that says, make sure you guys promote the fact that on the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, a noted St. Louis Blues fan, John Hamm, was on uh, with with, with the guys. And and was with Rutherford and Gentili. And make sure you, you, you promo that show. Okay, and that's and that's fine. I can't help but think, how do we not have Will Arnett yet? You know? Yeah, I mean, you're uh, sitting there. I, I didn't know. I didn't know we were doing celebrity stuff. Also, I didn't. I didn't know the Tuesday show needed our help. That's that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, They're we'll, asking for it. We'll give him a boost. Sure. I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind doing that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Will, we we got to get you. Got to get you on the show. Apparently. Um, I didn't know this was uh, entertainment tonight, but we could we could probably hook that up. Yeah. So I, I remember, like John Hamm would be the number one celebrity fan of the St. Louis Blues, right? Like that. That's that's not a question, is it? There's nobody else in the running on that. I can't like off no. the top of my head think no. of anybody. No, I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. John Hamm is the is the Blues guy. Okay. So and this is what I want to ask you about is I remember. In the early 90s, there was that season, I think 91-92, in which the NHL assigned a celebrity captain to every team, right? Mm -hmm. Like Ralph Macchio was the Islanders. So here's my question to you. Without looking this up, I'm going to ask you, who was the St. Louis Blues celebrity captain Mm. in 1991-92? See, I have covered this, but I'm, I'm... Off You're the top lie. of my head, I'm not yeah. remembering because because I mean there there were just some some wild picks like there were there were some legitimate celebrity choices and then there were some um, some not so good and then the best one of all uh, was Mister Rogers being the Pittsburgh yeah, Penguins right. celebrity guy and then uh, coming out for a pregame ceremony and throwing some skates on and hitting the ice. And and looking good doing it, uh, it was uh, that, that was a great moment from that. I can't say I remember who the Blues guy okay. was. So night the ninety one ninety two season, the St Louis Blues celebrity captain, none other than actor John Goodman. Okay, okay. not bad. Now, yeah, okay. But here's the thing: back I then. went up, I went back, and I found a Down Goes Brown article from a few years yep. ago, in which you ranked the mm-hmm. celebrity captains for ninety one. 92. Yep. I'm going to read what you wrote about oh, John no. Goodman. No, no. Okay. Just, okay. there's nothing bad in here. I just, I just thought this was interesting. You're going to, you, I mean, you, if you want me bringing on Hollywood guests, you can't be, uh, you can't be <laughs> throwing me under the bus. With John, no, John no. Goodman probably still no, has no. a lot of, I, I think right. this is interesting. Right. What did okay. I say? This is, so this is from 2016, I think. Okay. But you write, 
John Goodman is a St. Louis icon who shows up often uh, to sports-related events. I think this is a rock-solid pick. Years later, he would even make an unsuccess uh, unsuccessful bid to buy the Blues. The pick holds up well today, sure. Goodman has arguably been knocked down to second place on the Blues fan scale by John Hamm, but mm -hmm. that's some still impressive longevity. I have no recollection of John Goodman's attempt to buy the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, neither do I. Um, <laughs> but, you uh, wrote it. but I wrote it. But uh, <laughs> that, that was a while ago. But uh, yeah, okay, so there you go. There we were, I think, with the Ryan Reynolds stuff, we were wondering about celebrities getting in on NHL teams. Maybe yeah. John Goodman tried, uh, but. Uh, but couldn't uh, couldn't pull it together. I'd I'd have to look more into that. There Blues fans, help us out, yeah. man. Is that was that a thing? Was that uh, newsworthy? I know the the Blues have quite the history of ownership uh, and weird situations, and it involves dog food and skip drafts and and all sorts of stuff like that. Apparently, it involves John Goodman too, according to this whoever this down goes brown guy is that you're taking yeah. articles on. Uh, I don't know. He doesn't sound like a very trustworthy, sound like a, worthy source. You wrote it, and no, I thought I it was funny because I thought, okay, John Hamm, what, like, who would have been the Blues guy in 1991? And it was John Goodman. Like, was that when he did? There were, there were some Babe good Ruth? picks back then. He was Babe Ruth in yeah, the Babe uh, Ruth movie, right? That that would have been around yeah. that time. Roseanne would have been on for a while. King Ralph, I think, has uh, has happened at that point. King so, uh, Ralph yeah, has I mean, John, happened at that point. Never did I think that yeah. sentence would be uttered on a, on a podcast. <laughs> yeah you i mean hey hey tuesday show might have uh might have john ham live but uh we've got king ralph callback so really who who are you going to for your pop culture yeah all right what a night for tage thompson on wednesday and i gotta tell you i was kind of casually following along and i saw oh tage thompson has three goals in the first period I thought, that's pretty that's pretty cool he got the fourth goal by the end of the first period i thought is tage thompson going to score six or seven, mm -hmm. like what a night for him. We've talked about this. He's one of the great breakout players in the National Hockey League and uh, ends up with five goals in that game for yeah. uh, for uh, for Buffalo in a, a complete stomp of, of, of Columbus. I'm loving this season yeah. for him, uh, you know, and, and and for Sabres fans who don't have a whole lot to, to cheer for because, you know, if, if, if people didn't follow it, last year, Tage Thompson has his breakout year, um, but... It's a year where he scores a ton of goals, but he's he's just got a crazy shooting percentage. And what we have learned over the years is that when you see a player have a big breakout season and it's the the shooting percentage is what shoots up, not the shot volume, but the percentage shoots up, it's it's usually not sustainable. It's usually going to fall back to earth. We, we don't see those big percentage jumps stick very often. And yet the Sabres went and gave him a great big contract. Uh, and a lot of us were pretty skeptical. A lot of us are going, hey, man, good good for him. Get the uh, get the money when you can, but this this feels like they're paying for a career year that's not going to be repeated. And uh, instead, it looks like they got in cheap on a guy who is uh, emerged as one of the, uh, the most productive and entertaining players in the entire league. And uh, yeah, I I was late to the the big game last night because I was uh, you know I had one of those experiences where you know you go on you have you've been offline for a couple hours and you look at your Twitter and you've got way more. There's there's way more volume than there should be, and I'm thinking, okay, something's happened, and I'm seeing all of a sudden, you know, Tage Thompson three goals, four goals, five goals early in the second period, uh, and now you're sitting there going, okay, uh, we're into some nearly uncharted territory. In fact, for for a lot of us, would be completely uncharted. We've never seen a player score 
six goals uh, on, you know, unless you're old enough to remember Daryl Sittler days. I, I consider six the record. I know seven is a record like Joe Malone or whatever way back in, um, you know, when, when the puck was a pine cone, but six is six is, is kind of the real record. And it's amazing. Nobody since Sittler has gotten there. Not Gretzky. Gretzky never did it. Mario Lemieux never did it. Brett Hall, go, you know, Mike Bossy, go on down the list. And uh, it it fell for a while. <laughs> like, it was going to happen. Um, the, the way that the, the way Blue Jackets were playing, the way, uh, uh, you know, everything was going in. Now, I got to admit, I didn't sit and watch the third period. I don't know if you did. Like, were the Sabres just feeding this guy constantly? Were they throwing him out on the ice all no. the time? Or did they do that stupid NHL thing where they pull back and go, whoa, it's a blowout. We wouldn't want to embarrass the other so team. help me out on this. And I'm looking at the time sheet here. Okay. Tage, Thompson play- Tage Thompson played 1356, according to what I've got here. In the game, it, period? Yes, like it, it, in the game. All like, situations. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at 19 I mean, shifts. I get that you don't, you don't, like it's nine to two or whatever. You don't want, Nets like you know that the 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 code would say you dial it back, you keep the stars off the ice, you don't put them on for the power play, but we got a chance at history and a fan base that hasn't even seen a playoff game in eleven years. Don't you have to go for it? I mean, this is like I, I'm just I'm thinking back to a last week or whatever when uh, uh, Mitch Marner had his point streak on the line, with two minutes left, and the goalie was out, and and I mean the entire Leaf team was just openly feeding the puck to Mitch Marner. Like, forget about clearing it. Forget about getting getting the win. They were just going all out to to get him that point streak. And, you know, while the point streak is neat, it's not history-making like a six goal would have been. I, I would have loved to have seen them just just put them out there for 10 minutes in the, in the third period. And if the Blue Jackets are mad about it, then stop them. But uh, anyways, he didn't get to the six, but the five is, I mean, it's a, it's a remarkable achievement that's uh and and it just continues an amazing season for uh for this well guy. i wonder now i you'd have to go back and look at this and you'd have to look at the bottom you'd have to use hockey reference and go back and look uh i know timo meyer did this yeah timo meyer did it last year where he had his five goals through two periods but like yeah. how many times has a player had five goals going into the third period that would be something to look up like like and and yeah, and I, and see like realistically that is when you probably would have had the best chance for a six goal game, right? Yeah, I mean you you would think so, and uh, and, and again it's got to be a game that um you know it's it's tough these days because like I said it, it, these days if if one player on one team has got five goals yeah. through two periods that game's going to be a blowout. In the eighties there were games where you know yeah I got five goals but it's eight to six you know we're still playing like it's it's uh you know it's, it's still a hockey game whereas these days you, uh it's a blowout and maybe you dial it down but yeah there I mean there can't be that many there have been a decent number of guys get to five um in the modern era we we see it these days that you know every few years there was uh uh you know uh Zibanejad, I, I would imagine was the most recent one. There was the Marion Gabbert game and that sort of thing. But yeah, no, I would, I'd have to go back and, and sort of look through them and find out, uh, but, well, has anybody actually had that many through? I mean, certainly, like, didn't he get the fifth goal, like something like four minutes into the second period? I mean, I can't imagine that that's like, uh, well, that would be the question is, has anybody and Tate Thompson? Well, no, he got it with four minutes left in the second period, okay. but, but still. Uh, Timo Meyer did it as well in terms of how many guys had five goals through two periods. That would be mm-hmm. the question because 
you know, Zabanejad, I know, had the uh, had a goal in the third period and then the overtime winner. Um, you know, I, I mean, Gretzky, remember when he got his fifth goal, was into an empty net against Philly that one year to get 50 and 39. Like, um, yep. you know, you'd wonder how many Gretzky guys did it a few had times, the but five that would definitely be the most famous. going into the third period. And you have 20 minutes of real estate to play with. Um, yeah. You know. I'm I'm just kind of randomly clicking around. I'm not. I, I'm certainly not seeing a lot. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm sure there are a few that maybe somebody out there would would remember. But uh, boy, that was uh, that was that was something. okay. So then I also thought this was something. <clears throat> Tage Thompson last night, Sean, became the 60th, 60, 60th player in NHL history to have a five goal game. You know what their uh, team's record uh, team's records are when, when they have a five goal guy on their team. The record. I mean, I would I would assume sixty and oh. You would assume so. The record is fifty nine, oh, oh and one. <laughs> Alexei Jamnov scored five goals for Winnipeg in a seven seven tie against the Kings in nineteen ninety five. Oh, like, isn't that amazing? And here's the thing. And I looked up the the box score of that game. Jamnov mm -hmm. scores his fifth goal of the game. To give Winnipeg a 7-5 lead midway through the third period. You would think that alone should be enough to like, guys, Jamnov just scored his fifth. We're up by two goals. What LA scores two in the final 10 minutes to tie it. Game ends in overtime 7-7. Seven, seven. The wow. only team yeah, ever to have a five-goal guy and not win the game. There you go. That's uh kind of tells you. All you need to know about the uh, mid '90s Winnipeg Jets, unfortunately, yeah. Alexei Shamnov. That was a yeah. That that's a great underrated player of that era. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I do remember that game. He just he blew up. I was also looking at this list. I'm like, okay, so obviously on the list of five goal scores, there are the Gretzky's done it four times, Lemieux did it four times, some surefire Hall of Famers like Newendike and Sundin and Fedorov are on Sergei the list. Fedorov, right? like they're, they're yeah. on the list. Mm -hmm. But there's some kind of interesting guys as you start to look at, at hockey history of guys with five-goal games. I'll tell you the one that really – like Mike Ricci had yeah, a five-goal game. That's an interesting for one. For Quebec. Because it's uh, – yeah. Now, he – well, I was going to say he had it against San Jose. I'm looking at the list. Um, but th this was in 94. This this wasn't uh, – he wasn't beaten up on the, the pure expansion team anymore. And, and Ricci's a guy that – he was a real good player, but it was sort of a guy that you thought of more as a defensive type – um, yeah, this this game happened in in mid February, so well into the season, uh, and he he scored his fifteenth through nineteenth goals. So that's not bad when you're upping your goal total by thirty three percent in one game in uh, in mid February. That's not bad. Mike Ricci was a good player, but that's uh, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be a guy that'd be real high on my list, even on those old Quebec teams to be a five goal guy. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, only one – Ian Turnbull is the only defenseman to ever do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Turnbull, he holds the record for goals by a defenseman, which was a, a bit of a weird one. He was a Leafs uh, – he, he was a good player um, back in in the 70s, but he just had one of those crazy games where everything went in. And I think like – I think in his case, like two or three of the goals came late uh, as well. Not into empty nets, I don't believe, but, uh, you know, it was just – he was just putting everything on net and they were going in. And you would think – you know, Bobby Orr, Paul Coffey, you know, on down the list that uh, that one of them would have done it. Nope. But no, it's only only Ian Turnbull. Yeah. And how do you feel about, you know, Thompson scores five, the Sabres score nine, 
Edmonton scored eight last night. Uh, you know, Vancouver, Montreal the other day was unhinged. Uh, Montreal blows a four nothing lead. Canucks storm back and win seven six. Uh, you know, we that's just off the heels of that nine eight Kraken Kings game. Like, are we feeling like this is this is like sustainable? Like, I know we always talk about well, every year October is got the, mm -hmm. the crazy goal scoring and it goes away. Like, it kind of feels like it's still here. In, in, in well, as we're closing in on Chris on Christmas. Yeah, and 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 what is interesting is that this this has been a theme for for years and years now. Is that the NHL always through October, November, they go look goal scoring's up, and then it goes down as the season goes on. The playoff races get tight. Everyone focuses in on on uh, winning hockey, which is defensive hockey, and and trying to make every game two one. And then the number ends up pretty much around where where it had been, except that in the last few years we haven't seen that. So, uh, you know, the, to, to just assume it's going to drop down, no, not necessarily. Now, I, I, I have such mixed feelings on this. And people who hear me uh, or, or have read my stuff know where I'm going with this because I love offense. I, I, like you, I grew up watching hockey in the 80s, the early 90s. I, I think, I think the NHL has never been a better product than it was in the early 90s when the uh, scoring was not quite as high as the 80s where it got up to like eight goals a game but it was in that seven goal a game range and so i get i i'm thrilled to see the numbers go up that that's unequivocally a good thing and yet i get a little i get a little nervous when i see people watching us go from 6.1 to 6.3 and say well it's a scoring explosion the dead puck era is over this is you know hanging the big mission accomplished banner and I'm sitting there going, no, we got a lot of room to go. Like we could, you know, if 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 you think six point three is fun, let's uh, let's get up to six and a half goals a game. Let's get up to uh, you know yeah. to to even more than that. So I, I I don't celebrate it in the way that some people do, just because I don't want the NHL to take the foot off the gas pedal. And and especially this whole thing is it's very weird because the scoring is up unquestionably, maybe not by as as much as it. Feels like 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 it. This is one of those things. Tell me if I'm wrong, but it it feels like scoring is way way up. And then you look at the numbers, and it's we're up like 0.1 goal a game from last year. So you know if there's 10 hockey games on tonight, and you sit down and watch them all, you're going to see one extra goal. Uh, it, it even though it feels like there's this this big explosion. Um, I, I, I'm happy for that, but I don't I don't jump up and down celebrating it just because um, you know I I. I don't want us to stop doing whatever we're doing and we don't know what we're doing, which is the right. frustrating part. Like there haven't been any major changes. We didn't make the nets bigger. We didn't significantly reduce the goaltending equipment or, or make big rule changes. Everybody's kind of sitting there feeling happy that the numbers are up. Um, but when you ask what what's happening, it's like this mystery that we got to sit down and solve. Right. And it, it's different. Like baseball, when baseball has an explosion of offense and home runs, your first thought is they're juicing the ball. And yeah. they're trying, right? And we've seen all sorts of reports about that in, in recent days. And I feel like in hockey, it's not like you could, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, juice the puck. Like, there's nothing you could do um, that we wouldn't notice, right? Like, it, it's like, again, I, I it's mean, inexplicable. We as fans wouldn't notice, but the players would. Like, uh, uh, Justin Bourne made the, the good point that, the, you know, remember a couple of years ago when they tried to put those chips in the yes, puck? The, the chip, and yep. right away, the players were like, no, no, these pucks are different. And, and, you know, they're sitting there going, well, wait a second. These are, these are exactly the same. We've tested them. We've done all these measurements. But the players knew that something had, had changed and they didn't like it. 
Um, I, I, I tried kind of half-heartedly to get my conspiracy theory going that what's happening here is that the NHL did make the nets bigger and they just didn't tell anyone. Um, and that's, and, and my further piece of evidence is that's why they keep knocking the nets off all these goalies all of a sudden, because the nets are thinner and they, you know, they, they don't have the same heft and the same weight. Could be. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's my conspiracy theory. Do I have evidence for it? No, but you don't need evidence these days. You just throw stuff throw wildly there. onto the, onto the internet and, and people go with it. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. And Pierre has another piece of, at the athletic today where he's talking about, you know, where's this coming from uh, some of the coaches and, and GMs theorize that, that the, the players are just getting a little bit sloppier, like as far as the, the defensive systems, um, that, that uh, certainly the fact that we now see teams are, are at least trying to roll four lines of guys who can do something with the puck. Now, obviously your fourth line guy isn't going to be a 25 goal scorer, but the days where, you know, I, when we were growing up, the fourth line was all the enforcers and then, and that right. sort of dropped away. But even then for a long time, you wanted your fourth line to be like your, your bangers and crashers. And they, they weren't there to do anything offensively or, you know, maybe it was a checking line or, or whatever it was. Whereas now it feels like the fourth liners on most teams it can at least do something in the offensive zone, you know, and then they're not going out there with the mindset of, I am here to just prevent anything from happening for the next 45 seconds. They, they will, if they get an opportunity, jump in and and try to make offense happen. So, you know, that's part of it. The, the rule tweaks, the, you know, the, the slashing crackdown a few years ago, cross-checking, you know, all of this maybe does add up a little bit. You know, we, we're all frustrated that the NHL hasn't cracked down on the giant goaltending equipment. And, you know, you still see guys skating around looking like sumo wrestlers and it's, it, it, it looks silly. Yeah. But they did crack down a little bit. They made some slight changes. I'm sure Jesse, you know, with his his goaltending propaganda would explain to us why, you know, the, that slightly tighter upper body uh, equipment uh, adds up to, to goals. Um, the one thing that is interesting is I, the theory that, that I found the most uh, convincing last year and the year before was that we were seeing what we were just seeing was a COVID effect, that because of COVID... We had more goaltenders not able to play, more third string goalers, goalies coming up, even fourth string. In fact, I remember on the show, we sat down at one yep. point with Jesse and we looked at, we said, you know, if you just look at the bottom 10 goalies in the league, that is basically accounting. These guys being worse than previous yeah. worst goalies is what's accounting for it. But if that had been true, we would have seen the numbers come back down this year because we're not seeing that effect anymore. You know, we're not seeing teams having to go to third and fourth and in some cases fifth and sixth string goaltenders as much. So that's good news because that, that means that whatever we're seeing might be sustainable. I will throw one other theory out there. And yeah. this is one that, you know, on my other podcast, my, my buddy Ryan Lambert threw out and, and I will, I will warn you, this one's a bit of a bummer. It's, this is a little depressing because it's, oh. um, you know, it, it, it's not the sort of, sort of thing that you would like to, to attribute this to, but you know, he points out that when you're talking about goals a game, and especially when you're talking about save percentage, that's the big mystery. Why is save percentage going down? He points out that when when you see a league-wide save percentage number, the league is counting all goals in that, not just taking all the goaltender save percentages and averaging them out. And that means that they are counting empty, empty net goals. Net. Yeah. And it, one of the things we have seen in the last few years is teams are much more aggressive about pulling the goalie. We see teams pull the goalie with four or five minutes left yep. if they're down a couple of goals. We've seen more empty net goals. 
And that counts against save percentage, even though there's no goalie in the net to make a save. And is is that maybe some of what we're seeing? It wouldn't account for all of it, but is some of what we're seeing both in terms of the, the more goals and the lower save percentage, it's just more empty net goals getting tacked on at the end of games that are already decided. Like I say, that'd be a bit of a bummer if that was actually what was going on. But uh, I think that's contributing a little bit. Hopefully it's it's not most of it. We need a down goes Brown uh, top conspiracy theories. Why? Uh, I don't joke. I, that, it's it's yeah. an idea on the list. We yeah, might, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I might get but, to put it. it. Bump it up higher on the list because I think, okay. I think that that's... Uh, and I'm that's open. Crazy, if anyone else there has got any yeah, crazy, up. crazy theories, let me know. I, there's there's nothing, uh, I mean, uh, does, nothing too wild to consider. Okay. Does expansion play a factor in this? Like we've added... Uh, another team uh, yeah. to the mix uh, in the last couple of years is that problem is those teams are both good uh yeah. now the kraken don't have good goaltending but it's not like you know the, the guys they have would still be in the league that that is a theory that by adding two teams you've added four five or six goalies to the league that would not have been there otherwise yep. but you've also added you know how how many for 24 new forwards to the league that wouldn't have been there and um in theory, at least that would that would balance out um, the you know the the real explosions that we saw in scoring was in the 1970s, um, and then that kind of carried into the 80s. And and in the 70s, it was out of control expansion. We went from six teams in 1967 to having doubled them, 17 NHL teams by the mid 70s. Plus, remember there was the WHA that was taking right. a lot of talent. So if yeah. you wanted to be a professional big league hockey player, there were six teams in 67. And, you know, 20 or 30 of them uh, a decade later. And that disparity in talent, that's where we saw the, the scoring just explode. Because, I mean, there were people that had no business being in the league and the good right. players were just skating around them like pylons. I, I mean, in theory, it could happen again. But the problem with that theory is the Golden Knights have always been good and the Kraken weren't very good last year, but they're good this year. So, um, you know, how, how can they be the problem? Yeah, you know, somebody should also write a story, maybe like ten things about the Kraken that they were wrong about. That seems mm -hmm. like put that yeah. on your list too. You'd have put to narrow it list. down a lot. I feel like. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> hey, I, I gotta look. Speaking of of pieces that were written, Haley Salvian and I teamed up on a piece this week, and and the reason why we did this is I wanted to do a story. I was like, man, Ottawa's attendance has gone up, and like seven years in a row, Ottawa's attendance had had gone down year over year, which is rather remarkable. Seven years in a row, you would see a, a dip each year. So they bottomed out. And, you know, obviously there's a pretty big increase this year. I thought, like, wow, do they have the, you know, biggest increase of any team? And so I thought, I'll do a story on that. And then I kind of pitched the idea and they said, you know, you should just do a league-wide attendance story because maybe there's a few teams that have shifted. So Haley and I crunched the numbers. We went back to the 2019-2020 season, which was the last season kind of where we had full attendance. We thought that was apples to apples comparison. We said, Let, let's pick the 10 teams that have had the biggest swings in attendance, meaning at least 1,500 fans plus or minus. That's a pretty big number, 1,500 people. So we write the story. We just put out the facts. My goodness gracious. Attendance is a little bit of a touchy subject. Okay, now explain fans. this to me because I get, and, and, and you know this happens to me all the time, because I'm, I'm, mostly I'm throwing my opinion out there. It's my opinion. Oh, this goalie stinks. And then somebody will come in and go, no, they don't. You're not watching the games. You're not seeing this and that. I mean, attendance is attendance. It's just the numbers, I right? So. I mean, how I do you how so. do you argue and, uh, with the numbers? Well, they do. And I'll tell you the one like one that really people are angry about is I put a line. Look, the New Jersey Devils, when we when we did the attendance, 
were 30th in average attendance and 26th mm -hmm. in capacity. So in terms of percentage of people going to Prudential Center was 86%. That was 26th in the league. In terms of average attendance, they were 30th. So I put a line in the uh, story that simply said, while the Devils are sitting first overall in the standings, they're 30th in attendance, and so their success hasn't yet translated to the box office. Here come the Devils fans. You are out of your mind. What are you talking about? We just sold out four games in a row. You're pathetic. You're a joke. And I thought, but but these are the numbers. Like, look, like if, if, yeah, if we want to revisit the... it in six weeks from now and it's different, absolutely. But all I can mm -hmm. go on is the data at the time, which was they were 30th in average attendance and 26th in capacity. Had another guy jump in and say, oh, a typical Ottawa reporter with his, like, what are you talking about? Like, like. Yeah, the typical Ottawa reporter uh, criticizing teams for low attendance. I mean. Yeah. And, 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 what and, are we talking about? And I'm glad, like, the thing I was really surprised about when I looked at the attendance numbers, and I didn't know until this year, was Carolina is sixth in overall attendance. Yeah. Okay? They have never, Sean, they have never had a season where they finished higher than 15th in overall attendance. The highest year they ever had was 06-07, and that makes sense because they were coming off a of Stanley Cup the year before, would have had high season ticket numbers. They were 15th in the league in, in 06-07. And so this year, they have a chance for the first time in franchise history to be a top 10 team. And I kind of tried to lay out, look, at on the Rod Brindamore era, it's gone up every year. Clearly, they're whatever. And these, again, Hurricanes fans are angry. Like, we, we told you that there were fans here, and you guys didn't. Like, I'm just relaying the facts. I think it's great. So, so but, Carolina fans are mad that you pointed out that their attendance I, is I, high. I don't know. I, th I feel like some, there's some anger there, but I, I don't know if they're people, angry people at People need to understand, like, when you're talking attendance numbers... It's it, like we said. It's it's just the numbers. Uh, if people conflate that with that you're that you're you're critiquing a fan base. That if you know the numbers are are high, that equals good fans. If the numbers <laughs> are low or have been low, that those are that's a bad fan base. And we're not saying that the numbers are what they are. I'm looking at the Devils. Yeah, they had a few sellouts in a row, and then their last game was thirteen thousand. Uh, and that was 13,000 to see the Blackhawks. They had Blackhawks stick. I wouldn't want to go see that either. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe they'll bounce back up. But, I, man, I, okay. Should I? Yes, yeah, think. do it, do it, do it. Whatever you're going to do, right. do it. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm going to put it out there. Devils fans, your team is amazing. They're fantastic. They're the best story of the year. You guys are being really whiny this year. You're being real crybabies. You had the great streak, and then the streak ended, and again, you know that game against the Leafs, which is controversial. But and you know, I wrote the piece where I was like, "Hey, the, the calls unfortunately were right. They're bad breaks, and the Devils were the better team that night." But sometimes you don't get the breaks, and the feedback that I got from Devils fans, and I've heard this from other people, like, just I, I, I get it. I get that you're. It, you're, if you grew up with this team, you've seen three Stanley Cups. You're used to seeing success. It's been rough years for a while, um, some disappointing years, and and now everything's clicking together. I get it. It's great. I don't get why you guys aren't in better moods because you are really establishing yourselves as the crustiest, most thin-skinned fan base 
of this season so far. And I don't understand why, because that that typically hasn't been the case oh. um, of with with Devils fans over the years. But I don't know what is going on. Pump the brakes a little bit, guys. Like you don't, you're you're the best team in the league. Not everything has to be a battle. Not everything. You don't have to go online every morning and look for something to be mad at. You can just look at the standings and be happy with your team. Yeah, and look again. We thought it was a good time because in the last two years we couldn't really do attendance stories around the league. Right, two years ago it was basically, uh, you know, limited capacity in some American venues. No fans in Canada last year. A lot of Canadian venues got compromised again. So it's really been since 2019, 2020 that you could truly do an attendance story where the gates are. So we thought, look, let's do a story. Let's look at the numbers. Chicago is down by 26%. I know people yeah. people know that people aren't showing up, the fans aren't showing up to Blackhawks games, but let's let's quantify it, right? Let's show mm-hmm. uh, San Jose, Buffalo, Philadelphia. These are all traditionally strong markets have seen declines. And we thought it's important to just to note it. Now, about 20 teams in the league, I would say, barely moved. You know, that yeah. that that within 500 fans, one way or the other, that's that's a drop in the in in the bucket. That doesn't really matter. And that's the majority of teams that are in that middle, meaty middle, that it doesn't matter. But I think it's interesting. Only eight teams have shown an it, uh, attendance increase. In the entire league, only eight teams have more fans now than they did in 2019-2020. And a lot mm-hmm. of those are just marginal increases by a couple hundred fans. So, yeah, look. And again, it's it's who's going into the buildings, right? And yeah. Which does not, is not the same. I know there's lots of fans who say, hey, I, I don't get to go to games. I'm, I'm not close enough to the market. I can't afford the tickets. I I just prefer to watch at home, whatever it is. Um, and and also, uh, you know, from from a financial point of view, there you, you can get more people in the building by making the tickets really cheap. I mean, it, really, we'd have yeah. to kind of cross uh, cross match it against the ticket prices to to really know what markets were thriving. But again, that's that's from a business. It's not it's not just the fans. Um, but the numbers are what they are, man. Like nobody's saying Chicago hockey fans suddenly became terrible fans because they don't want to go watch an obviously tanking team. Um, just like they weren't terrible fans around, you know, 2005 when the building was half empty and they were getting fewer fans in Arizona. But the numbers are the numbers, guys. Like you, you don't don't shoot the messenger um, with oh. the, when the numbers are, are clearly what they are. As we wrap this up, the one thing I'll say is, so I started working on this with Haley and I said, okay, I said, I'll do one team summary so you get a sense of kind of the, the tone I'm going to. So I, I think I sent her the, the, the sample uh, paragraph on either the Islanders or the Senators. So she reads it and sends me a note back. She's like, oh, okay, so we're just going to play this straight. I said, yeah. I said, Haley, we don't want to be playing loosey-goosey and having fun. Because I love doing those stories, just like you do. And I know Haley's yeah. really good at writing uh, with a little bit of color and humor. <laughs> and I, you know, I was like, attendance is not the place for that. Like, I, 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 I think we got to play, play this straight. And uh, even when we play it straight, uh, like you said, the uh, the don't shoot the messenger uh, didn't quite land with uh, with people. And they look, just look at the comment section; it's just obliterating us for just passing oh, on. Here's information that is publicly available, and we're trying. This to This is it one in of those things where it's like, I think some of these fans are telling on themselves a little bit. They're, they're project- there's an insecurity about how they're viewed. And so when somebody just points to a, a an objective number, they assume that all of this criticism that they've got bouncing around in their own head 
uh, is yeah. coming out and they, they lash out against it. Uh, I don't know, man. Just everybody settle. It's the holiday season. Come on. Settle down. Settle down. I'm pulling out my dad voice now. Settle down, everybody. Yeah. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Tell you what, let's bring in our guy Jesse Granger for a little segment we like to call Granger Things, sponsored by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner, with us at the Athletic. And Jesse, listen, we we kicked off this show. Uh, we were talking about Tage Thompson going off. Five goal performance for him on Wednesday. He uh, you know just continues as Sean said earlier. Uh, boy, he's suddenly making that contract look like a steal for Buffalo. I think a lot of people are like raising their eyebrows when they signed with that. It's a steal uh, at this stage of the game. And now I'm curious, and, and Sean and I were wondering this probably too, like we talked about the start of the year, who would be the odds-on favorite to win the Rocket Richard Trophy? Uh, I'm assuming you could have, if you put some money down on Tage Thompson, you're probably uh, laughing. But uh, like how how have, how have has Tage Thompson's, uh, kind of the odds evolved around him as he's uh, as he's gone on this heater here. Yeah, um, actually, you would have had a hard time putting money on Tage Thompson at the beginning of the year. Uh, I I looked up a bunch of preseason odds and I could not find one where wow. he was on the board to bet. Wow. Um, and there were guys all the way at like a hundred to one, eighty to one to to score the most goals in the league, and he was not on any of them. Um, but <laughs> so first of all. I mean, he scored 38 goals last year, so it's not like it came completely out of nowhere, but out of nowhere enough for him to not even be on the board at all. Um, and then I was looking up like just a week ago, not even two days ago, um, two days ago, his odds were 25 to one um, to win. And, and, and two days ago, by the way, he was eighth in the NHL with 16 goals and Yesterday, he obviously moved up to 21 goals. He's three behind Connor McDavid for the lead. And he's now, so at BetMGM, he's 14, 15 to one. Um, so he dropped from 25 to one to 15 to one in one night. Um, and there are actually places out there where he's as low as like eight to one. This is a segment sponsored by BetMGM. So I guess we'll give them credit for uh, giving the best odds out there. 15 to one still, if you want to bet Tage Thompson to win uh, the Rocket Richard. But as low as I found it at as low as eight to one out there. So we're talking 25 to one to eight to one drop based off of one hockey game. That's fair. That's amazing. And that's, it, it's fascinating to see that he wasn't even on the list at the beginning of the year. So that, you know, the Sabres fans who were out there going, Hey, we saw this coming. We knew it was coming. Uh, maybe you did, but the, uh, the smart folks in, in Vegas didn't seem to. He's just so much fun to watch too, man. He's, yeah. he's so unique. I, I don't know how tall he's listed at, like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but he looks, maybe like it's he's just because he's a, yes. maybe even bigger than that. Like when I yeah. watch him, it's like, is this guy like 6'9 out there because he's a center mm -hmm. and you just don't see guys that big? And then he's got the best hands in the league. Like I, I was joking with guys in the press box yesterday. We were waiting for the Vegas game to start and we're watching that game up on the TVs and he's just scoring and scoring. And it's like, it reminds me of when I was young and I'd play like NHL 
uh, EA Sports, and you would just create this monster of a player that yep. was like gigantic, but also had like 99 speed and 99 yeah. hands. And it's like, well, obviously this person doesn't exist. And then it's Tage Thompson. He actually exists. Um, he's so much fun to watch. It's it's wild. Like I've watched him in person with my own eyes in two games this year, and he like just leaped off the ice for me. I th- like I and, and I watch. I've watched him play over the years. I thought this guy is just different. Like he is. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's it, he reminds remarkable. me of and, and not not in terms of being similar players, but I'm old enough to remember the early days as Daniel Chara, where you j- you watched him and he was the biggest guy on the ice, but you know it j- it hadn't clicked yet. You know it wasn't he he wasn't uh, a star, and, and you're just sitting there going, I don't think it's going to happen for this guy, but boy, if it ever did, look out. And I mean, Tate Thompson's kind of the same thing. I mean, for for years he he you know, St. Louis and then to Buffalo and he was part of that trade. And, you know, he almost kind of symbolized the, the you know, fact that they'd given Ryan Riley away and you're just sitting there going, yeah, man, at that size, boy, if he ever figured it out, bad news, everybody, he uh, figured it out. You, you know, the guy I think of Sean, when I see him and, and he never quite got, it was Nick Antropov. Nick, mm-hmm. Nick Antropov was a huge guy down the middle. He was just, he was so big. He was like six, five, right. Wasn't he six, five, six, six, yep. mm-hmm. uh, Nick. And, and 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 Logan Brown was another one. Like you just thought, like man, if he ever gets it, like look out. And usually you don't get it when you're that size, or often yep. you don't get it uh, at that size. It's uh, yeah, it's it's remarkable. I know. Hey Jesse, obviously you cover uh, Vegas as you beat. What a win for the Golden Knights as they uh, they end Boston's uh, streak at home. And Cassidy gets the win, and you know there was some money on the board for that, and it would have been a fun revenge game for him. Uh, but what I'm wondering is. Like how good is Vegas on the road this year? And yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's 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 pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's as impressive as their road game has been. Um, their home game's been just as disappointing. So if you're a better out there looking to bet the Golden Knights, it is kind of insane, especially considering that this team has had one of the best home ice advantages uh, in the league for the last five years. Like not just players going to Vegas and having a good time, which we know can happen, but also a packed building that every player that comes in there says this is one of the loudest buildings in the league. It's one of the hardest buildings to play in the league. And this year, that hasn't been the case at all. The Golden Knights are 12, 2 and 1 on the road. Best road record in the NHL. They are seven and six at home after last night's five-one loss to the Rangers. Uh, that's the 18th best, so best on the road, 18th best at home. And in their last three games, they've lost all three at home, and they've been outscored four to fourteen in these games. They have just been getting blitzed, um, not by great teams either. We're talking Vancouver and the Rangers. Um, it's interesting, and I think part of it is just the situation you mentioned. The big win it's it's a road trip it's a long road trip on the east coast they get the big win for bruce cassidy and then they've got to come back three time zones across and they've yep. got a game they don't have any days off it's just boom right into another game um against a, a desperate rangers team and it's very similar to what happened when they came home the last time they were on a four game road trip on the all on the east coast and then they win in buffalo jack eichel gets his hat trick against the sabers another one where you know there was money on the board it was a big emotional win for the team and then you fly back across so i don't imagine they're going to be a bottom half team in the nhl at home for the rest of the season but it is something to watch because it's something i talked to the players about before yesterday's game um and they were like, yeah, we need to play better in front of these home fans. And and we we need to make this another a building that teams fear coming into. And then they just get blown off the ice by the Rangers. Um, so, yeah, I don't 
know exactly what it is. I think there have been some circumstances that have led to it, but uh, the Golden Knights have Vegas flu at the moment. Has has any? I mean, you're there in the building. Has anything changed there? Is it still a loud building? Is it still you know the same level of production and the, all that other stuff that made it uh, we thought hard to play in? Yes, it is. I mean, it's it's just as loud as as ever. Um, it's it. I mean, to me, I don't see any changes. Uh, they've made changes to the pregame show, but they've been doing that for five years. They have a new show every couple of weeks. Um, they, they, they put a lot of time and effort into uh, the Golden Knight mascot fighting off evil villains and things like that. Um, and it's and like another thing that hasn't changed that's still the same is there are a lot of visiting fans in Vegas. Um, and to me, I've always said the best atmospheres at T-Mobile Arena are when they get a good contingent of the visiting fans because it keeps everyone honest. Um, you can't really get quiet because like last night there would be times where the Rangers fans would start chanting let's go Rangers and then you'd hear a big go Knights go chant kind of drown it out because they feel like they've got to protect their house they've got to they're, they're not going to let other fans come in and chant and that's never going to change it's Las Vegas T- people when they when the NHL schedule comes out they say oh the Rangers are in town December 7th sounds like we're going to Vegas yep. that weekend so to me that Yes, there were a lot of Rangers fans when they scored the goal to make it 5-1. And uh, by that point, a lot of Golden Knights fans had left. It was a loud cheer when the Rangers scored. But that's not different. It's been that way for five years. So um, I haven't seen any change in the atmosphere. Um, and it's very strange considering this team has been so, so good away from home. Uh, you know, w- one other thing you to wrap up with you, Jesse, is looking at the standings and and again, it's, look, I listened to the Wednesday pod with you and Rob uh, and, uh, and and Joe, and you guys, I know you had Peter Bond, you talked a lot about the Avalanche, they're just decimated by injuries, so I get it. I, I can understand, can wrap my head around Colorado kind of at this point being out of a out of a playoff spot, but they're knocking on the door. Uh, but the, the reigning President's Trophy winners, the Florida Panthers, they're also out of a playoff spot. Like, it's cra- like I don't think, Sean, we've ever had a season in which the reigning Stanley Cup champs and the defending President's Trophy winners both missed the playoffs the following year. Now, we're a long way from there, but that's pretty remarkable that we're closing in on Christmas time and they're both not quite in a secure playoff spot. And it's, the Central Division, to me, is mind-blowing. Yeah, and and I mean, I'm personally, I'm still riding the Colorado Avalanche as my, uh, as, as my team to come out of that division, but it's getting tougher and tougher. And I know it's getting yeah. frustrating for fans of... You know, especially Dallas and Winnipeg. Every week when I do my power rankings, and I've got Colorado ahead of all of them, and uh, they go, you know, what are you doing? And my answer is, this: the, the, they're the defending champs. When they're healthy, they're I think the best team in the league. They're certainly not healthy right now, but they will be by the playoffs. We hope. Uh, you know, none of these injuries are expected to impact on on uh, playoff availability. Um, as long as they make the playoffs, I think they're they're in- incredibly dangerous. You know, could they miss the playoffs? No, of course not. They're too good. But I spent all the last year saying the same thing about the Vegas Golden Knights. So, right. I actually had this conversation with Peter yesterday, and it's very similar in that they're both talent. Now, the Avs are more talented than the Golden Knights, I believe, Um, but really talented teams with a ton of injured players. And I told him because he was like, yeah, no, I don't really believe that they're going to miss the playoffs. Like, they're obviously going to make it kind of like how you just said, but that's how we all felt in Vegas last year. I can remember the feeling. I'm having flashbacks of it's like, well, they're not going to miss. The, this team's never missed the playoffs in the history right. of the franchise. They're not going to. Eventually, these guys will get healthy. And what happened for Vegas was they survived the first wave. They were actually in first place for the first third of that season. And 
they all said when Mark Stone gets back, when Jack Eichel gets healthy, because they had obviously traded for him coming off the neck surgery, um, when Pacioretty comes back, all these players. And what ended up happening was by the time those players came back, the players that, that were playing super heavy minutes, Alex Petrangelo, these other guys weren't either weren't the same player because they were weren't burned out or they were injured. And then Mark Stone got injured again and there was another wave. So it's like if all these injuries that the Avs have right now currently are the last of their injuries, they'll be fine. This team's probably going to win another Stanley Cup. They're so good. But that's usually not how it works. Um, yep. I think you you overplay guys like Kale McCarr is obviously way, way younger than Alex Petrangelo, but they are riding him like 30 minutes a night, the same way the Golden Knights are riding Alex Petrangelo. I think Kale McCarr with his skating and his youth is better suited to do that. But when you run players into the ground by playing them an insane amount, and it's like, you don't have another option. What are we going to do? The other guys are out. You're going to carry us tonight. Um, Sometimes that can lead to wear and tear. And I'm just worried if, if I'm an Avalanche fan, I'm worried about the residual effects of that and the, and, and worried that there aren't, they're not done with the injuries right now. You, you hope that they are and that these are the only ones and then they'll heal. And I think this team is definitely good enough to make the playoffs. And as the lightning have shown, you don't have to be the one seed. Just get in there and you're the best team and you can win. Um, The Panthers to me are more interesting because they obviously aren't as banged up. They should be winning um, more games, but to me, I'm not that I, I'm still confident the Panthers are going to be a playoff team and can be good once they get there um, because of the reason it's the goaltending right now. I mean, if you look at Corsi share share of shot attempts, which teams are controlling possession, which teams are controlling the pace of games, the Panthers are third in the league um, behind the Devils and the Hurricanes two of the best teams in the league expected goal share. They're fourth in the league. So this team is in terms of the scoring chances being created, if you just ignore goaltending. They're top five team in the NHL this year. The problem is Sergei Bobrovsky has been statistically the worst goalie. I'm talking not just of the starting goalies of like the 77 goalies that have played a game. Sergei yep. Bobrovsky is statistically the worst yep. goalie in the entire NHL. That's wild. And then they put Spencer Knight in and he's been just as bad. Um, like the other night in Winnipeg, they absolutely dominated the Jets and Spencer Knight gives up three goals on 15 shots. He gets pulled. Bobrovsky comes in. He's not any better. They end up losing that game when they, they sh- I mean, they dominated except for the most important position. So to me, the answer, the, the question with Florida is, do you believe Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight, that duo can give them average goaltending? Um, it's not an easy question to answer. I would lean towards yes. I think eventually Bobrovsky, he's not going to be elite, but I think he can get it together and be better. And I think Spencer Knight can be better. If that happens, all statistics point to this Florida team being still very good. They kind of morphed into the Devils, right? Like last year's Devils. Wasn't that what we said about the very Devils? Very much. Very yeah. much. Yeah. I, I'm not a capologist, so help me out here. If you have a guy who is the highest paid goalie in the league by cap it, and he's the worst goalie in the league, is that bad? That feels bad. Seems feels bad. bad. Yeah. But it, like I said, it gives you hope because it's this isn't a like if it's a case where the whole team isn't playing well, you can't just fix it with one guy. I feel like if your hopes are riding on can the highest paid goalie in the entire NHL get it together and give us league average goaltending. I feel like there's a little it's, more hope in that. Yeah. The, the thing with the Panthers is you look at the East and it, nobody saw the Devils coming. They look like they're locked into a playoff spot, which means somebody gets bumped out which is fine because Washington doesn't look very good right now. So you bump out Washington, but then you look at the other two teams, the Islanders and the Red Wings are both solidly in playoff spots. Now I, I, I'm not buying the Red Wings yet, but the Islanders 
look like they're back. This is this is a team with a track record. If if either one of those teams is locked in, then that means somebody else has got to miss. So that's either Pittsburgh, Florida, or New York, probably the New York Rangers. And right. that would be any of those teams missing the playoffs would be a disaster. But if you if you're buying either the Red Wings or especially the Islanders, there there just isn't a spot for all those three teams to it, make it. Totally. I, I think if you're if you're Florida, you got to look at Detroit and say that's who we got to hunt down because Boston ain't missing, Toronto's not missing. Mm-hmm. I don't think Tampa's missing. I think the vulnerable team in the Atlantic is is Detroit. And, mm-hmm. uh, but you you right. could hunt down Detroit and even then still not make it if the Rangers get going and and the yeah. Metro ends up grabbing. Both the wild card spots. It's yeah, it's no. tough. There, there's it. We always say, man, the old cliche: it gets late early. It's it's getting late for some of these yeah. teams already. No, exactly. Well said. All right, Jesse. As always, uh, appreciate you dropping by the Thursday edition of the podcast. Have a great week, and uh, we'll hit you up again uh, next week. Always fun. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Always great to get Jesse Granger uh, on the uh, the Thursday pod. Let's uh, let's open up, uh, open up the mailbag, shall we? Uh, you can reach us at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Also, leave us a voicemail, 845-445-8459. All right, last week we talked about Sean, uh, Mario Lemieux, and his kind of comment in the early 90s, mid-90s, there about, how oh, the NHL is a garage league. And we wanted a little bit of context, and, and we really thank everybody who reached out to us, gave us a little bit of uh, context. Maxime uh, wrote in to the uh, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com said I often listen to your podcast I can clarify for you guys the garage league comment of Mario Lemieux it's simply how we call uh what we refer to as our beer league here in Quebec so uh yeah it's not as bad as calling the NHL a garbage league it's just basically calling out the league as unprofessional so there you go right, I, we was, had a lot of people on Twitter yeah, tweet at heard, us and say heard that from a lot of people is, and that yeah. was Interesting and thank you. And and my favorite comment was somebody uh, uh, tweeted me and said that you know that he was he was saying it's a garage league uh, because it was so defensive and it was like a beer league, which is proof that Mario Lemieux never played in beer league because nobody plays defense in those. No, leagues. yeah, exactly. Uh, we had a lot of like I can't tell you how many people on Twitter reached out to me. We talked about. Hey, I was like, hey, did you ever play foot hockey? And yep. like. Like a gazillion. I gotta say, I feel like there might we might need to do a full episode on this because I don't know that I've ever had as much feedback, heard from as many people as we did on this. I might be about to hear from as many Devils fans, um, (laughs) but we'll we'll see. For now, the record is held by this. Like this, we might need to do a full like special episode just on everybody's foot hockey slash ball hockey slash socky. A lot of people were calling it soccer hockey. I have reached out to who I, the, the person who I think is the best features writer at The Athletic is Dan mm-hmm. Robson. Yep. I told Dan, I said, look at this. I think you need to do a deep dive story on, yeah. like, I think I would read the hell out of We're going to pull him off like a corruption investigation <laughs> and get him in on this. Yeah. Anyway, I think he might be on board. I like, it's crazy. Like, I, but I'm just going to read one here. Uh, so many people wrote in with uh, stuff about, hey, did you play foot hockey, boot hockey, socky, whatever you want to call it. David said, we did play foot hockey, elementary school in Montreal, the late 70s. By 1981, we modernized. We actually bought uh, plastic uh, Cosm street hockey sticks, red or yellow. That's how we would divide the team. We would bring them to school. And we still played foot hockeys indoors sometimes. And I definitely used my Montreal Expos hat 
as a catching mitt. You know what? Here, here's what I want to hear as my next uh, from from the listeners, because I was amazed in in my school. It, we we played uh, we played what we call ball hockey. We we always played that. I have no memory of anyone ever bringing sticks to school, but the number of people who told me that their ball hockey, foot hockey, whatever, came because they used to bring sticks and then sticks got banned. So yeah. what I want to know is, what's the story of your school? What happened at your school that <laughs> yes. got sticks banned? Yeah. Because I got Something a feeling happened. that everyone's got a story about what happened that day that the principal had to come out and say, that's it, there's no more hockey sticks in my school. We, we You know 100% some kid named Billy hit the recess monitor with the stick. And that's yeah. it. There's got to like, be a story. And, and the other one was, uh, you know, somebody, this was like, this triggered a memory from me because I didn't, I didn't remember this when we were talking about it, but how uh, it, whether you, whether body checking was illegal or not, depended oh. on whether the recess monitor was looking yeah. and it was coming <laughs> exactly. around the corner. So people yeah. would yell body checking on, body checking off. Yeah. So you'd be just be playing. I mean, it would be Thunderdome out there and then somebody would yell checking off and everybody would go to non-contact rules because the monitor was about to peek her head around the corner. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, we love to hear your stories. I want to know the story. How did you, how did sticks get banned at your school? Okay. What horrible thing happened? And the other thing I want to bring up from that, and the reason why I want to read David's email, is he used the term cosm, cosm sticks. Do you remember Cosm this? hockey. Yeah. That was only a gym thing. I didn't, <laughs> yes, I didn't exactly. know a cosm hockey could go outside. That's, so uh, cosm, yeah. cosm hockey and pennies are two yeah. phrases yeah. <laughs> from elementary school that you never hear. Once you graduate from elementary school, you never hear cosm hockey. And could and a cosm hockey stick even like hit a tennis ball? Like, you need those little wiffle balls. Like, yeah. that's uh, it was the lightest equipment, just like an entire like bin full of half a pound worth of hockey equipment that uh, got used in gym class. Okay, gonna keep ripping through here. Uh, Pete writes in great podcast, just recently started listening to you guys. I really enjoy it. However, was listening the other day, somebody implied that Alex Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer of our lifetime. And you guys were saying Wayne Gretzky got credit for goals that he didn't even score. I think that's garbage. I always hear people say Ovechkin scoring in this generation is more impressive. But nobody mentions that Ovechkin has played in the era of three-on-three -three overtime, no two-line passes, etc. Maybe Wayne Gretzky would have had a few more goals with those rules in place. Ovechkin never had to worry about Scott Stevens and the brutal hits. Um, to me, I still take Gretzky in his prime over anybody. 92 goals in a season, 200 points four different times that comes in from pete that's i mean it's it's a fair point I, did we say gretzky got credit for goals he didn't score i don't, I don't remember saying that but i don't uh, think that, i don't think that's how we would have phrased it or said sound, it, that but, sounds like something the tuesday guys would say to be honest with you yeah but, with john uh, look with, uh, john i love wayne gretzky um and yeah the game has evolved the game is different i don't think three on three makes that big i don't know how many three on three goals ovechkin has in his career i, I don't think it's many um yeah the, the you know the lack of the head hunting but uh, also the fact that, uh, I mean, you, look, I, I, the eighties and early nineties, I've already said my favorite era of hockey ever. I love it. I would go back to that in a second. I would trade what we have now for, for that level of entertainment easily, but those goaltenders stunk, man. I mean, you watch Gretzky come in, there's no gap control. He goes over the blue line. The defenseman yeah. just back right up and he, he just gets to take a slap shot from, from the face-off circle to a goalie who then falls over. It's, uh, um, I mean, look, I, I don't know who's the greatest of all time. I don't know who you take with, you know, one game to win or whatever. We do have, you know, with 
we can run the math and, and adjust goals based on error. And if you do that, Ovechkin's already first. In fact, he just recently passed Gordie Howe. Um, and it and uh, and even Jagger is ahead of Wayne Gretzky on that. Hey, you can only play in the era that you're in. Wayne Gretzky was amazing. I take nothing away from him. I think he's the greatest player ever. Uh, but as a pure goal scorer, um, it, Ovechkin might have the, the thing with Gretzky is people like Wayne Gretzky is arguably the greatest goal scorer ever, and that wasn't even his prime skill. He was a better setup guy than a goal scorer. So I mean, that's what makes Gretzky the greatest of all time. But pure goal scorer. Man, Ovechkin's got a real good case. I I actually think Mike Bossy has a great case. And, and yeah, if he, and, if he had and, stuck and, around, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why is every full season that Mike Bossy played, he scored fifty goals. Nine yep. full seasons, nine times fifty goals. If he doesn't have that back injury, and the last year he played, if I'm not mistaken, Bossy still had 35, 36 goals. Yep. If you play it out a little bit more on Bossy, give him four, five more years. I suspect he might be the all-time he, leader. He could be in there. Or, and, I mean, the other one is if he had stayed healthy, Mario Lemieux would yep. absolutely be right up there. A different type of player than than any of those guys, and, and certainly very different than Ovechkin, but uh, just a magician, just completely unstoppable when he was healthy. Um, I, I have to read this one. This is great. Because, in fact, somebody tw- – and I feel really bad because I don't – I should have found the tweet – but somebody tweeted at you, me, uh, a couple of other, the Athletic Hockey Show pod, I think Gentilly, and said, hey, I listened to all, uh, whatever, 1,000 hours of the Athletic Hockey Show in 2022. It was in my Spotify wrapped. You guys are in nice. my top. Uh, Jay wants to know if Wilson Phillips is at the top of our Spotify <laughs> wrapped for 2022. Yeah, it, it, not the... It- must have been sixth on mine because it didn't uh, did not crack my top five. No, unfortunately, and no. maybe that's just because I know the music so well that I don't. I mean, I don't need to listen to it. I can just close my eyes at any point and see those those ladies bopping along the sidewalk. <laughs> that's that, right. That Wilson Phillips strut. All right, one more email here. This one we gotta give a shout out to. Uh, is this Bill or Bill? Billy? Billy? Sorry, this is Billy. And we always joke about we needed the, the Down Goes Brown internship program yeah. where we basically exploit young people who want to do research for, for Sean's uh, uh, benefit. And some of these – there was a, uh, uh, an idea we had about a month ago. In fact, Billy writes in and says, apologize, I'm a few weeks behind. Listen to the November 10th pod. You guys talked about Glenn Sather scoring a goal from Jacques Lemaire. And you guys wondered, would that be – the most coaching wins ever by a goal-scoring combination. So I did some homework, and apologies if one of the other down-goes-brown interns already covered this, and it's old news. Well, I'll tell you what, Billy, it's not. And we we like your hustle. In fact, you've moved to the top of the Mm -hmm. chain of the down-goes-brown interns for us. Absolutely, yep. And Billy found the goal uh, from the Hartford Whalers in 1985 in which Dave Tippett scored from Joel Quenville. When you add up their two uh, coaching wins that they would later get in their career, you get 1,617 wins on that goal. Uh, That was more than the Jacques Lemaire from Glenn Sather and Larry Robinson. Bruce Boudreaux had run from Carlisle. Uh, He goes on. He's got a whole bunch. I I love the um, – there was one from uh, Lindy Ruff from Jim Schoenfeld. Uh, Anyway. There, I, I, this is unbelievable. This is some great yep. work, some great hustle. Dave that's Tippett not, and, from and Joel Quenville. Joel Quenville, I should have. I should have thought of. That's that's a good one. And the other thing is, you know, look, because we were making that comment off the cuff last time, but 
Uh, Glenn Sather doesn't have as many wins as you would have thought because I think we're conflating the uh, the GM years as well. Yeah, uh, you know he didn't he didn't coach for a lot of that, but yeah, Quenville um, and and Tippett combining is a that's a fantastic one. I, I like it. I like the hustle. Um, you know, I, I, I sent an email to all the, uh, down goes Brown interns recently saying that we we're going to go to super hardcore moral mode and, you, you know, you had to be all in. And I feel like this, uh, you know, didn't get a lot of responses, but, uh, I Billy. feel like I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed by Billy. Billy's Billy, going places. Billy's all in. All right, let's wrap it up with a little this week in hockey history. In fact, maybe we can get Billy or somebody else to figure this one out. Uh, December 5th, 1991, Sean, Kevin Stevens of the Pittsburgh Penguins scores a hat trick, three goals against San Jose. It's his fourth hat trick in the span of 10 games. Um, I'd love to know. Like, has anybody else in NHL history had four hat tricks within 10 games? I can tell you this. I, I'm pretty sure nobody had five hat tricks in 10 games. That, that, that's bananas. That would be uh, tough. No. Kevin Stevens, four hat tricks. I, I don't think I've, younger man, fans I've appreciate how this, good yes. Kevin Stevens was. Yes. I that have said money. this in quite a few places. Kevin Stevens was an absolute beast in the early 90s. I mean, on that Pittsburgh team. And yeah, you know, you could say, well, he was playing with Mario. He was playing. No, it, it, you know, nobody could touch Mario. But, you know, when you say, oh, he was playing with Ron Francis. Hey, man, there were some times Ron Francis was playing with him. And he, he Kevin Stevens suffered that devastating injury in the 93 playoffs in the David Volick game. Uh, it, you know, derailed his career, derailed his life. Um, but it, there were years there. He was scoring 50 goals, 200 plus penalty minutes of physical force that there were just, there was no stopping this guy. He was, um, you know, he didn't fight a ton, but other than that, he was up there with Cam Neely's and, you know, all, all Brendan Shanahan guys like and, yeah. that. And he was, he was just absolutely unstoppable. And, and it, 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 it bugs me a little bit. Anytime I'm, people are talking about how great those penguins teams are. And they, you know, they give you well, you know, Mario, Jagger, Francis, and then they go on. You know, Paul Coffey, Larry Murphy. It's like, no, no, you are forgetting. They had other good players, but you're forgetting an absolute wrecking ball in in Kevin Stevens when when he was when he was at his peak. There were very, very, very few guys that uh, that could touch him. I, I now we're gonna get Pittsburgh fans saying, "I can't believe you called Kevin Stevens the wrecking ball." That was Mark Recchi. You know what? You guys yeah. don't know oh, anything. No. Yeah. Now I've done it. Okay. Yeah. Line up behind the Devils fans. Yeah, exactly. Okay. One more. I had no idea about this. This is from December 6th, uh, 2011. So not that long ago. Uh, Carolina goalie Mike Murphy is charged with the loss in a game against Calgary. And what's weird about this, he doesn't even give up a goal. Murphy comes into the game with the Hurricanes trailing 6-3. to three. He makes a couple of saves, and then he gets pulled for the extra attacker. Jerome McGinley scores to make it 7-4. You think that's the end of the night. Murphy comes back in, but here's the thing. Carolina scores two more goals. They end up losing 7-6. McGinley's empty netter ends up being the winning goal. So Murphy, in his first ever game of the NHL, gets tagged with the loss despite not allowing a goal. He would yeah. then play one other game in the NHL, didn't give up a goal. He finished his NHL career, Sean. Perfect nine for nine, I believe, in terms of saves. 0, 0.0 GAA, 1,000 save percentage, but an 0-1 record. Yep. One of my favorite stat lines of all time, one of those incredibly bizarre situations. I feel like this has happened again since, that there was one other situation where this happened. Because it's it's a great trivia question to throw out to someone uh, who, who 
is a know-it-all hockey fan. How can a goaltender lose a game in which they do not give up a single goal? Oh, it's goal? like a brain we're not teaser. Yeah, yeah, you know, shootouts, technically, you know, you could lose a shootout in a 0-0 tie. We're not talking about that. But, uh, you know, in a, a regulation game, you you lose despite not giving up a goal. And this is this is the way it happens because it's who is the goalie of record when the winning goal is scored. And, and even though you're sitting on the bench, you're the last one to play. You're the goalie of record. There you go. I, you're right. I think, did it happen? Was it a Vancouver goal? Was it? It did happen yeah, again, I, didn't it? I, I I feel like it did, um, but the, you know the, the other thing with with Mike Murphy, like you said, is like that was his only appearance, so that was it. Like you know, did you ever play in the NHL? Yeah, I played one game. How'd you do? I, I stopped every shot I faced. <laughs> Nobody could beat me. Yeah. I, I had a one thousand save percentage. Did you win? No, I took the loss. Like, what a great career line! It's uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'd rather have played uh, eight hundred games, but. If you're only going to play one, that's it's that's a pretty cool statistical quirk to be able to to throw up there. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, that does it for the Thursday uh, edition of the pod. Hope everybody enjoyed uh, listening uh, listening along here. We had a lot of fun. Again, a reminder: John Ham was on the Tuesday podcast with Rutherford and Gentilly. John Ham, the actor. So make sure you yeah if you haven't listened to that one, uh, download it. And then the Friday episode with once again Gentilly and Haley Salvian. Uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin, who was named uh, Canada's Athlete of the Year in 2022, will join the Friday podcast uh, with, with Haley and Gentilly. So that should be a lot of fun. By the way, Haley really made, and I, I'll peel back a little bit of the curtain here, and I'm really honored to be able to be part of that uh, voting process, the committee that uh, chooses Canada's Athlete of the Year. I went into it, and I told Haley straight up, I, I was a Brooke Henderson believer. I, I believe that Brooke, uh, the golfer, should have won Canada's Athlete of the Year. Haley Salvian made such an impassioned and intelligent and smart uh, plea uh, for Mary-Philippe Poulin, along with a couple of other people on that panel. It, it did sway my vote. At the end of it, when we got to the very end, it swayed my vote. So I'm hoping Haley yeah. at least mentions that uh, to MPP that she was she was the catalyst in in helping uh, uh, shape that that voting process. It was uh, it was it was quite something. Very cool. And yeah. you and you know what? I love I love the choice. You guys got it right. Yeah, I think so too. Absolutely. All right. We'll leave it there. Thanks everybody for joining us again. If you want to join the Down Goes Brown internship program or you want to do some research, hit us up, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail 845-445-8459. Not a subscriber with us, you can get an annual subscription for $2 a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.